this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. Is it possible over the past hundred years, many, not all, but many Americans have been used, manipulated, and I'm going to use that word duped, into becoming agents for communism under the guise, though, of a description called progressives or liberals. Well, my guest today is Dr. Paul Kangor. Uh, He's a professor at Grove City College, and he's a professor of political science. He's written anywhere between, I think, 12 and 18 books, and they're up there fascinating. And uh, we're going to be interviewing him and also really trying to get into some of the meat of about three or four of the different books. The first one's called Dupes. America's adversaries have manipulated progressives for a century. That's one of the names of the book. So, uh, Dr. Kangor, I welcome you onto the show. And let's just kind of jump right into it as far as uh, what have the communists been doing? How have they been manipulating in the United States? And when did they get going? Since the literal founding of the communist movement a hundred years ago, the, the Bolsheviks took over Russia in, in October and November 1917. They established the Comintern, the Communist International, in Moscow in March 1919. And then the, the Communist Party of America was started in Chicago in September 1919. And and what communists learned very early, very early on, certainly by the 1930s, when uh, really the height peak of party membership for Communist Party USA was probably in the 1930s. And they had, at that time, probably no more than about 100,000 members. So you're looking at a population of over 100 million people, where the you know guys like FDR and others who win presidential elections get tens of millions of votes, and Communist Party USA only has a, a membership of 100,000 at the most. So what they really learned there, Terry, was that if they wanted to have wider influence, if they wanted people at their rallies, their marches, their protests, to literally march and carry flags for their cause, what they needed to do was conceal that they were communists exactly. and tell, you know, fe- yeah, tell fellow people on the left, hey, we're, we're progressives. You know, just, just like you, we're progressives. It, in, in fact, if you look in the, the index of my book, Dupes, and, and frankly, in the index, of, the index of massive documents like the 1943 compilation by the U.S. Congress of, of subversive groups in America, um, the 1961 compilation, which is almost as thick, probably the most common word in the index is progressive. And, and it's, it's because these communist, Marxist, Leninist groups learned that if they wanted to appeal to a wider swath of liberals and leftists to enlist them into the communist cause, 
then the communists couldn't openly call themselves communists, so they would call themselves progressives. I remember growing up with my dad, who was very well read on communism, and as a kid, you know, just not understanding the, the, the differences and the nuances, and my dad would say, Terry, just put them in a brown bag, shake them up, or roll them out, and, and, and at the end of the day, they're all connected, they're all the same, it's just different flavors, and then, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes one flavor is stronger than the other, but at the end of the day, they're all connected. That's well put. <laughs> well, I remember as a kid not yeah, understanding yeah, no, no, the that's... differences, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Well, that, that's a good point, and, and because it's often a matter of degree, and because they have uh, oftentimes common interests, for example, you know, the communists claim to represent the workers and e equality, equal distribution of wealth, redistribution of wealth. I mean, those are things that they know that many liberal Democrats would support, right? So, so they go out there and they talk about that. Yeah, the, they, they search for items of commonality. If you go to the website of People's World, which is, which is the publication for American communists, it's the, the successor to the Daily Worker. And I should probably click it right now. I'm in front of my computer. But, but they're probably right now, they probably have five or six articles up there right now talking about the teachers' unions, yep. maybe talking about the mine workers. Mm -hmm. Or what they're really big on right now sexual, gender, cultural stuff, um, you know, redefinition of marriage, um, LGBTQ stuff. They're really pushing that stuff hard right now. And of course, you won't find, you're not going to find the words lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender in the writings of Marx and Lenin, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but, but the modern, yeah, but the modern day communist knows that you know, those are kind of tools, items, if you will, of fundamental transformation that they can use to redefine the West and the culture, and even more importantly, that they can use to appeal to a wider swath of people right. on the wider, broader liberal left. And you know, that's where you get like an Angela Davis, who was a hardcore Marxist-Leninist, right. and there she is, she's speaking before the Women's March in Washington, yep. and, and you know, she's not going to quote Marx and Lenin before those girls, right. but she's going to talk about gay rights and exactly. you know a woman's right to choose exactly. and so forth that that's what they do well they really commandeer language you know they well just like you said the woman's right to choose that whole thing was a linguistics game can you describe you know really at the heart or at the gut of communism how do they look at the family and why why do they so want to destroy well you know marx said that that communism represents the most radical rupture in traditional relations that that's a that's a direct quote from the communist manifesto by marx and engels and marx in an 1843 letter talked to, he called for quote the ruthless criticism of everything that exists unquote mm. so in a way that you know they really are the ultimate totalitarians in the sense that uh, you know, the very, a very strict definition of totalitarianism, which you would get in or should get in kind of any political science 101 class, is that totalitarians seek to transform human nature. You know, they, they've got a completely different conception and definition of what it means to be a human being. And, and, and so the communists, this was really a, revolutionary, a revolution of human nature. Yeah, they really want to change the very essence of the human person. Now, you know, communists, I guess it depends on which type you're talking about and when. 
but the ultimate goal of of Marx and Engels in in the Communist Manifesto when it was published in 1848 the concluding words of the book they said the workers of the world we we have a world to win workers of the world unite so so this was a vision that wasn't just to be applied in one particular country and they weren't like the american founders looking to establish in the words of john winthrop from you know 1630 a century and a half earlier a shining city upon a hill right. in america in, in philadelphia in washington the, the, these guys wanted to conquer the entire world, and, and that's exactly what Lenin said. It, we, we exclusively counted on the revolution to be a world revolution, not isolated in one country. So, so it, it was to be a worldwide philosophy now, now, and, 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 and governing approach. As to what the communists want today, I, it's, it, it, that's a lot more complicated, and I, here we need to probably go into making distinctions between classical economic, uh, trade-based union yes. communism versus cultural Marxism. Right. Right. Absolutely. And and a lot of the Marxists that you see today are are focused on taking down the West, taking down the Judeo-Christian moral absolutes through culture rather than through economics. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why if you go to Communist Party USA's website, if you go to the People's World website, you're, you're just as likely to see them pushing the line on, say, quote-unquote, marriage rights as you are on wealth redistribution. Mm-hmm. Because you know, that, that's now become part of their broader agenda in order to facilitate this um, undermining of America the way that it was, and and, and they they hate the phrase anti-American, but 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 they 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 shouldn't because it, it, it that is what they are. Mm-hmm. They, they, they they are they are yeah they they you know and I and I don't when we say that we don't mean to say um, you know they're not American citizens. I know no one's saying you know you know you're not an American citizen. Right. No one's saying you weren't born here. I, I get, but in in terms of you know, Ronald Reagan said, America is less of a place than an idea. Exactly. You know, there, there's yep. an idea of Americanism in the founding the founding documents, the Declaration, the founding fathers, and what and what American communists, especially those pledged to. Communist Party USA and the USSR in the 1930s, they were they wanted a Soviet constitution. They didn't want the American constitution. Right. So what they wanted was absolutely antithetical to to America as envisioned by the founders. So they they were anti-American, and I don't know why they would. Why well, I know why they bristle at that because they use that as a defensive scheme, right? To you know to kind of get their liberal friends on their side. Well, they're saying we're not American. Well, how dare they say that? <laughs> Pretty soon they're going to be saying that you guys aren't Americans, and that's the liberals right. go, Yeah, yeah, that's not right. That's not right. And, you know, the liberals don't even understand. Well, if you just take a look and ask your, your, your communist buddy here about the loyalty oath that he just swore to Stalin's Soviet Union, why wouldn't that be anti-American? Exactly. Uh, but, but you can't even usually get that far with some of these people. They're so emotional about it. Right. And, and there's always an element of um, coveting. You know, they covet, it seems to me, what others have. You know, and it's always groupthink and collectivism as opposed to recognizing what our founding fathers did. And it gave, you know, the, what they set up, it gave the individual the individual, the ability to work hard and excel, and you'll be 
you know, most likely rightly rewarded at the end, you know, throughout and in the end. Um, all right, let's let's slip they, over. Well, to they you. they do covet. They do covet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can I say one thing on that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The very idea that um, yeah that thou shalt not steal, which is as basic of a Judeo-Christian principle as you can get, mm-hmm. um, is the understanding that 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 um, a person owns private property. Mm-hmm. Um, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Right. Right. You, you people have private property, and, and really, it, you know, the whole kind of radical left project in a will in a way one of the tenets of it is covetousness right I'm, i said that word wrong covetousness something mm-hmm. like that well we could spell it out but 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 they but they uh i want what you have that's right that's right yeah. and, and there's a sense of resentment there too that if that that if if because they don't, someone else doesn't have what you have. It's as if you got it illegitimately, exactly. to the point of where Marx and Engels, yeah, I mean, they they tried to abolish all right of inheritance. That's point three in the ten point plan, yep. in the Communist Manifesto, and uh, you know, tell that to the Kennedys, right? Tell that to the Kennedys that they can't inherit their wealth. Then exactly. take it from them. Right. <laughs> uh, but if your parents earn the money and they want to leave it to you, they ought to be able to. And they ought to be able to leave 100% of it and not have to give it away as an inheritance tax. Uh, do you remember the luxury right. tax? The luxury tax of the... Oh, yeah. Uh, when right. was that luxury tax? Because I think it, it makes a perfect example of, well, coveting. And they literally called it the luxury tax. And it, and it drove... You know, I know I'm I'm on the Chesapeake Bay, and it um, you know, but across the country, and this is just one of many examples. It drove uh, boat manufacturers out of business. So here they were coveting that. Look, if you could afford a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar boat, I don't know what the benchmarks were. Maybe it was a fifty thousand boat. Maybe it was a twenty thousand dollar boat. But the government ended up slapping this really heavy-duty tax. Well, the people who had enough money to buy those nice boats. They didn't buy those boats because they're not willing to pay that tax because they're too, you know, they're not willing to do it. And the boat manufacturers went out of business. And I wish, I wish um, yeah. we could get more of these examples. You know, like you've got the the young girl up in New York running for young woman up in New York. I forget her name, but you know, running as a socialist. Yeah. Casio Cortez. There we go. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and it's like I, I wish we could get these real stories told about trickle down economics and have real discussions so people, you know, just average Joe who maybe has never read your books. You know that they and they should read your books, uh, but where they could just experience, you know, l- learn. You know where people are connecting the dots. It's like, whoa, that does make sense, and that's not right because they not only put the successful boat manufacturer out of business, but all those employees lost their jobs. That some of them may have lost their houses. You know, it has this whole trickle down, and it affects the community. All right. Well, what about Ted Kennedy? That's right. Uh, Ted Kennedy got duped, right? Yeah, speaking of luxury, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, speaking of luxury. Speaking of luxury. <laughs> All right, wait, uh, <laughs> right, talk right. to me about Ted, Ted Kennedy and, you know, JFK. How were they manipulated and duped? Well, so so J, J, all right, JFK was 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 pretty good. I mean, JFK was was a solid anti-communist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Bobby Kennedy was a solid anti-communist. And in fact, their father, uh, Joe Kennedy, was really good when it came to communism. I mean, he had plenty of other 
blind spots, right, mm-hmm. um, in regard to other isms. Mm-hmm. But but they but they were all pretty good anti-communists, with the exception of Ted. And you know, Ted ended up just being. I mean, what Ted where where Ted was by the time he died in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Was was complete opposite on the political spectrum from where JFK stood, probably from where Bobby Kennedy stood, and to the point where, yeah, I have him in 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 dupes as really one of the biggest dupes toward the end of the Cold War, and and in his case, it, maybe it's a good spot for a definition. A, a, a dupe is somebody who who generally is unaware that they're being used, that they're being manipulated. So a dupe usually isn't trying to cause harm. In fact, they may may, may be totally well intended. You know, they don't know that they're being used by communists. So a dupe would be Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Judy Garland, uh, Gene Kelly. Some of these people we just love from the movies, right? right? But but they're they're all they're you know, they're liberal they're liberals and they're true genuine progressives in 1947. And Hollywood 10 screenwriters like Dalton Trumbo and John Howard Lawson and others said to them, do you believe these fascists in Washington at HUAC? They're calling us in to testify. They think there's reds under every bed. Well, we're not communists. We're progressives just like you. And so Bogart and Bacall and all the others follow them to Washington and stand at their side and say, they're not communists, they're progressives. And they get there and Congress presents their Communist Party USA cards, numbers, everything else. And then they realize they've been duped. They've been lied to. Um, Kennedy, uh, there's cases of, of Ted Kennedy, cases of him being used being manipulated, being lied to. But one case where he was not at all an, an innocent one was, and we have this now in the form of a May 14, 1983 document, KGB document, written by the head of the KGB, Viktor Chebrikov, mm-hmm. and it was sent to the head of the Soviet Union, Yuri Andropov, and it concerns a private offer by Ted Kennedy to reach out to Yuri Andropov and to the Soviets at the height of the Cold War, and and it, it's in regard to what Kennedy sees as the primary threat to U.S.-Soviet relations, Ronald Reagan. He, he doesn't see Andropov. Yeah, he doesn't see Andropov as a threat. In fact, the document even says that Senator Kennedy is quote unquote very impressed with Yuri Andropov, but he's not impressed with Reagan. Amazing. He sees Reagan as the threat to peace. And, and so, and it's, this is all set Terry within the context of the 1984 reelection campaign of Ronald Reagan. That's just right around the corner the next year. And so Kennedy offers to fly to Moscow to meet with Andropov he offers to um, help bring Andropov and Soviet military and political leaders to the U.S. to meet with American media figures. And in the document, it even says Kennedy will help arrange interviews between Soviet leaders and American media figures like Walter Cronkite and Barbara Walters. They're oh both goodness. noted in, in the document. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're actually noted in the document. And, and that this would all be done in the interest of peace. Right in the in the interest of peace, and again, it's all set within the context of Reagan's reelection bid. It even says Reagan's riding high. It looks the economy's doing great. Looks like he's sailing to reelection. By the way, a f- funny thing about that, Terry, that's the only case I've ever seen 
in a private classified document not meant for public viewing where Ted Kennedy and the Soviets were both agreeing that Reaganomics is working, <laughs> that oh, it's working goodness. so well that he's, <laughs> that he's going to get reelected. Otherwise, publicly, they say, oh, Reaganomics hurts the poor, favors the rich, record deficits, horrible unemployment. But here they are privately saying, oh, this Reaganomics is really, it's, gonna, he's, it's just it, great. The guy's going to steal the re-election. <laughs> what are we going to do about this? Yeah, it well, really what, does work. What are we going to do about it? <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're coming right back to, uh, to talk about the communist. Frank Marshall Davis, the untold story of Barack Obama's mentor. We'll be right back. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world, to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Okay, we're back with Dr. Paul Kengor, and he's the author of a number of different books, but four of them, or at least three or four of them, I'm going to be highlighting today. So we've already been talking about dupes. America's adversaries have manipulated progressives for a century. And uh, now I'd like to swing over to your book called The Communist. This man uh, by the name of Frank Marshall Davis, he was a full-blown communist with an FBI file on him. What was it, like 600-page FBI file? And how is it, That's right, uh, Professor, that he ended up becoming Barack Obama's mentor when he was, what, what was he, a, a boy or a teenager? When did he come into the life of Barack Obama? Hussein Obama. Well, that's that's right. Obama would have been around nine or ten years old, and he was he was in Hawaii at the time. And at that point, Frank Marshall Davis, who had become a communist in you know where else but Chicago in the 1940s. It's Nineveh. If America has a Nineveh, it's Chicago. <laughs> well, well, pe- people don't realize. I mean, they they think that. When they think of radical cities, they might think of you know Berkeley or San Francisco. I always say that the two cities that have really caused the most damage politically, ideologically, are Chicago and New York. Yeah. I mean, and that's and 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 as hotbeds and havens of 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 communists. I mean, not you know obviously you know there aren't a million communists in each city, but 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 the there was a there was an FBI. Um, report that was done that was declassified not that long ago. I actually use it in my classes, but it was um, 1950s, and literally half of the known Communist Party USA members in America lived in the New York City area, which is which is incredible. Wow. I mean, that you'd have literally half the members in New York City. Mm-hmm. But but the but the roots of the party. So eventually, the the party and the Daily Worker and everything all moved to New York. But but it, it started in Chicago, and guys like Frank Marshall Davis, who was this um, fairly young African American uh, guy at that time, who 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 by the way, as a young man, like like most African Americans in the 1920s, early 1930s, was, was a registered Republican. 
of all things. Really? Uh, because uh, black Americans, yeah, black Americans joined the party of Lincoln. Yeah, and okay. and that started a change under yeah it started a change under FDR, and and Davis just went flat out far left anyway. But but Frank Marshall Davis joined Communist Party USA in Chicago during World War II. We have his CPUSA number. It was four seven five four four, and he eventually went to Hawaii to do party work there basically, and and that was nineteen forty eight forty nine nineteen fifty after he had edited the Chicago Star mm-hmm. newspaper in, in the latter 1940s, which was a communist publication. Yeah. So he works underground, eventually eventually goes underground um, with his political activities. And, and they called the, the party, those in it in Honolulu, they called it the church. That was, that was their code language really? that they used for the wow. Communist Party. They called it, yeah, they called it the church, mm-hmm. which, which I, th- I think says a lot because to uh, people understand that the communists really, especially atheistic communists, really treated their communism like a religion mm-hmm. in a way. And, and it, it was really like you know, the Communist Manifesto was their Bible. The party was, was the church. And, and you know, so, so Davis and his comrades, they refer to it as the church. Mm-hmm. But he would, he would be called by the U.S. Senate to testify on his quote-unquote Soviet activities inside the United States. That was December 1956. And Frank Marshall Davis did what so many of those guys did. He pleaded the fifth and wow. refused to testify against himself. And when he was asked, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? He wouldn't answer the question. Whoa. And he, yeah, at that point, he was a little bit more quiet in his activities in the 60s. And he eventually, around 1970, 1971, was connected to a young man named Barack Hussein Obama by Obama's grandfather, Stanley Dunham. And to give you an idea of how radical Stanley was, you know, of all things, to try to find a a, a black male role model for for his grandson who didn't have a father, didn't have a, a biological father at home. Of all things, he doesn't pick you know a Boy Scout leader or a football coach. He he picks a guy who's a card carrying member of the Communist oh, Party, who 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 wrote wrote fictional sex books with titles like Sex Rebel, okay. and and yeah and and apparently Stanley and and Frank drank together and even smoked pot together, which so is a pretty bizarre their... thing for two old guys in their 60s. Well, that's what I was thinking. Wouldn't they be yeah. like 60-some years old? So, okay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they weren't They weren't 18-year-olds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in their rebellious age. Uh, so, so for a number <laughs> of years then, Barack Hussein Obama is mentored by, um, uh, by Frank Marshall Davis. And... Uh, I mean, what what I know your book is mostly on Frank Marshall Davis, but what what do you think are the fundamental things Obama absorbed that that he later during those eight years um, implemented in in America during his term, two terms as president? What do you th- in your opinion? What well, do you I'll, think profoundly stands out? 
Well, I'll try to understate rather than overstate what 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 I could say because I think if, even if you understate it, it's pretty strong. But mm-hmm. if you if you look at dreams from my father, where mm-hmm. Obama mentions Frank, mm-hmm. never refers to him as Frank Marshall Davis, only Frank, but he refers to him dozens of times mm-hmm. um, directly as Frank, and then dozens more via pronouns and other forms of reference. Right. But but you see there a Frank that is very bitter. Um, talks about, you know, the American way and all that, and here he uses an invective, right? All that yeah. crap would be a nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he clearly is anti-American. He's clearly kind of a bitter leftist. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I, I go through all of this in the communists. I'm skipping a, a, a lot, and I, and I say that reference to people that are listening are thinking, well, you're making a big leap here. While there's hundreds of pages in between where I flesh all this out, you, ha- you really have to see it. Right. But, but um, I interview people who knew Obama at Occidental College, mm-hmm. which is where he first went in 1979. And one of them is John Drew, Dr. John Drew, who, who ran the Marxist chapter, the Marxist club on campus. Wow. And, and uh, now John Drew is now a, um, you know, like a born-again Baptist <laughs> conservative, <laughs> which, which, which I have so many people who were, who were communists in their youth make that change. I, I mean, sure. I dedicated, uh, yeah, I dedicated dupes to Herb Romerstein. He was a communist when he was that age. I was, a, I was a, an atheist agnostic when, mm-hmm. when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but anyway, so he... Uh, when, when Obama was at Occidental College, John Drew said, told me, he said he was a Marxist, and he was introduced to be, he said, by my girlfriend who met him and knew him as a Marxist. He said Obama was a Marxist. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think the kind of connecting factor between, um, between Hawaii and Occidental College is Frank Marshall Davis. And Obama even says in Dreams from My Father, the last thing that he did before he left for ho- left home for Occidental College was dropped in again on Old Frank, where Frank gave him another one of his bitter diatribes <laughs> against oh, America and, and, and humanity. And so I, I think to the extent that Obama went to Occidental as a Marxist, I think Frank was, was, was an influence right. in, in that. I, I find it hard to imagine that, that he wasn't. And one of the things that, that, I, that I say in the book, Terry, is that if Obama left all of that, if he left the left, why, why and where, why didn't he tell us about that, mm-hmm. right? Right. I, I mean, everybody has a kind of, everyone has a personal story. Ronald Reagan told us about how he was a hemophiliac liberal, as mm-hmm. he put it, yeah. right? He was an FDR Democrat. He was a bleeding heart liberal. He admitted to being duped by communist groups calling themselves progressive, right? right? right. Progressive citizens of America and other groups. Hillary Clinton told us about how she was a Goldwater girl, her daddy's Goldwater girl, and here's why she left that. George W. Bush in his memoirs told us about uh, leaving alcohol Mm -hmm. and the life that he was living in the 1970s. This is part of his story. So if Obama left the left, why didn't he just come out in 2013 and say to everybody, or earlier, oh yeah, I was you know, really radical in those days, mm-hmm. but I came to learn that communism is a deadly philosophy, right. Right? right? Responsible for the deaths of all of those people. And yeah, you know, I'm still a man of the left, but I'll tell you, those communists, awful. 
You right. never want to make that mistake, but right? Never, it it never, never said anything like that. Right. Never. Mm-hmm. Never. And instead, people like us who, who said things like, well, what about Frank Marshall Davis? Uh, y'all, all they do is attack us, right? Are you trying to say that Obama is a card-carrying member, closet communist? No, I, 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 I wouldn't know about Frank if it wasn't for Obama's book, mm-hmm. right? Why, right. Why, why don't you guys ask him about this? Have him explain it. He can even lie if he wants to, right? right? I mean, he he could he he could think to himself, "Well, I love Karl Marx, and I keep a bust of Marx hidden in the closet." Mm-hmm. But when I go get interviewed by CNN, I'm going to tell them that you know I hate communists. He could even do that if he wanted, but they wouldn't even ask him about. I think the reason they wouldn't ask him about it is because they're afraid of the answer, frankly. What? So instead, they just call people names who criticize them. Okay. I mean, do you think it's that's it or do, or do they provide legitimate cover for somebody like Barack Obama because I mean most of this major news work uh, news networks I mean as far as I'm concerned I I believe they're owned and run by Marxists. I mean, I don't believe the heads of whatever these organ of the the ABC, NBC, what what maybe I'm totally wrong. I'm having a hard time believing they're yeah. just progressives. I don't buy it. I believe they're right. out there to help well, take America down. Yes, and, and, and I, I think they don't realize how much of, of what they believe now has really radical roots. That once upon a time, if they believe the things that they believe now, especially on cultural stuff and marriage, sexuality, gender, that kind of thing. Right. I mean, even 20 years ago, their party didn't believe any of that. Mm-hmm. Even 10 years ago, exactly. it didn't. Yeah. I mean, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, she was calling herself an old-fashioned Methodist and telling her gay friends in 2008, I'm really sorry, but I just believe the biblical, natural view of marriage between a man and a woman, right? Barack Obama was even saying yeah. that stuff. So they don't even realize ju- you know, ju- just how radical they've become. Right. Um, when it comes to flat-out Marxism-Leninism, I think most of these people on the left, they're not Marxist-Leninists, even if they might to some degree have some culturally Marxist sympathies that they don't even realize that they're culturally Marxist. That's mm-hmm. another question. <laughs> but but I, I think when it comes to kind of classical Marxism-Leninism, on, on that, it's not that they're Marxists and Leninists and Maoists. They're not. But, but they've never really been very strong anti-communists. Communism doesn't really bother them that much. So if you were to say to them, give me a list of the ten worst things in the world or ideas that are out there, right? Their number one on their list might be racism. Number two might be what they call homophobia, right? Number three might be people against marriage equality, right? Number four might be whatever. And in their top 10 list, you'd never find communism exactly. in the top 10, right. even though it killed 100 million people. There, there's a list that Human Events, the conservative publication, put together a few years ago, the 10 worst books ever written. And God book. bless them. The I top love that two, book. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. The yeah the t- the top the top two uh-huh. are Mein Kampf and the Communist Manifesto. I think yeah. Communist Manifesto is the worst because it killed more people. Right. But in a liberal list, uh, I I don't I don't think the Communist Manifesto would even I don't I don't think it would make the list. Right. Well, it's just not it's not even on their radar, and instead. They make fun not of communism, but of anti-communists. Mm-hmm. 
They find anti-communists to be disreputable and kind of ugly and kind of nasty and kind of Neanderthal. That's right. So, so communism doesn't get them angry. It doesn't get them. And I think that's what we were talking about with Obama, who by the time he was president, um, I think was more of a just a traditional leftist, mm-hmm. but you know, farther to the left than anybody we ever had as president. And as John Drew told me, uh, who knew him in Occidental, he said, he said, I'm not saying that Obama today as president is a Marxist, he said, but he, as Drew put it, he said, I still see a lot of the Marxist mental architecture in a lot of the things that he was saying, especially on the campaign trail in 2008. Like Drew said, when you hear Obama talking about people clinging to their God and guns, you know, that, that's kind of a Marxist way of you looking at people and religion, opiate oh, yeah. of the masses, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, wh- yeah. Yeah, talking about wealth redistribution, referring to the founders as, quote, men of property and wealth, as Obama referred to them. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that it's just a very far left orientation that I think lingered with him still throughout his presidency. Well, what do you think he meant when he leaned over to Putin and said, I can, what do you say, I can do more after the election or what? You probably, yeah, I'll have some more flexibility after the election. Yeah, right. you know. Um, who yeah. knows? Maybe he's still reporting upline <laughs> all the way back to Russia. Yeah. Who well, knows? Interesting now, too, to see liberal, yeah. To see liberals hating on Russia all of a sudden. I'm like, hey, where were you guys 100 years ago, right? Where were you with Alger Hiss? Uh, with all this other stuff. Now all of a sudden you you hate the Russians because uh, why? Because they manipulated, they got involved in in an election and hurt it and hurt Hillary. That's the only reason. It's not because they're suddenly anti-communist or not right. that Russia today is communist or that they they uh, for missile defense reasons or the pipeline. It's just str- strictly because of Hillary and their own political stuff. It's exactly. real. They're complete hypocrites. Amen to that. Now we're going to come right back and we're going to talk. to Take down from communists to progressives how the left has sabotaged family and marriage. We'll be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. To be recognized as a groundbreaking news and lifestyle platform, an alternative news source requires top-tier analysts, strategic thinkers, and impressive commentators. I'd like you to meet Ilana Friedman. She's a strategic counterterrorism intelligence analyst, a columnist, and commentator on America Out Loud. Ilana, when it comes to intelligence gathering and the NSA, the idea of spying on Americans stateside, have they crossed the line? 
They crossed the line a long time ago. Unfortunately, they have taken so many liberties that I would say that they have probably, it's not clear, but they have probably broken a number of laws in collecting information and intelligence from American citizens and uh, using it against them. How can America Out Loud bridge the gap and bring back trust to the people we serve? Malcolm, you are already doing a great job in providing your listeners with informed and diverse opinions on very, very important topics that give your listeners the opportunity to inform themselves and make their own minds up about how they feel about important issues and then bring them back to their own communities where they can act accordingly. Our goal is simple. It's to deliver an honest analysis and diverse opinions to keep you informed. Back at AmericaOutloud.com international news, world events, or an improved lifestyle. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. He's written a number of different books, but we're going to focus right now on how the communists have used the progressives to basically destroy and sabotage the American family and, and marriage in the United States of America. So, uh, Professor, uh, let, let's take it away here. How, wh- when did they begin to manipulate to destroy marriage in, in, in this country? Well, I mean, that has been part of the far left and I guess, if you will, you know, Marxist project to at least attack the family. I mean, that's as basic as the Communist Manifesto, 1848. Marx and Engels wrote in there, and this is an exact quote, it's off the top of my head, abolition of the family, exclamation mark. And, and, it, and it said, a sentence immediately after that, even the most radical flare up at this infamous proposal of the communists. And you hear that and you think, whoa, 1848, abolition of the family was already an infamous proposal of the communists? So it was infamous, and it was a proposal already in 1848. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot would happen in the 170 years, where we are now, I guess, since then, that would chip away at the family. And, and I've had some people say to me, you know, uh, don't don't lay um, all the blame for the breakup on the of the family and the fault of Marxism Leninism, right? Even Christians themselves have done a lot to hurt the family, and I know that's right. That that's quite true, but but the idea of a deliberate attack to try to take down and redefine the family, right. the idea that there was no set definition a Judeo-Christian vision of the family as between a man and a woman, only between a man and a woman. That's something that, that the radical left have chipped away at for, for a century, going through the cultural Marxists, right. and then the 1960s radicals, right. and then all the way through today. And this is where I would, I would tell people today, um, you know, when, when you call for a, a redefinition of marriage and of the family, and and someone like me says, well, you know, that's cultural Marxism. And you say, I don't even know what cultural Marxism is. Well, granted, you probably don't know what, what cultural Marxism is. But 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 that's what the cultural Marxists want to do. 
um, go to go to the website of Occidental College, again o- Obama's alma mater, mm-hmm. and check out their Department of Social Justice and Critical Theory. Mm-hmm. You know, critical theory is is the academic lingo phrase for cultural Marxism, mm-hmm. and it even says in the description that you will learn their gender theory, queer theory, intersectionality, cultural Marxism, mm-hmm. all that different stuff, LGBTQ stuff. So it, it's all um, there's now a sort of a common cause there, and uh, sadly not just among the far left, but the but the wider left generally, where where your common everyday liberal you know, sipping on a grande skim latte at Starbucks can be in complete agreement with some Trotskyist on uh, on on the concept of abolition of the traditional judeo-christian family or marriage right. and and if you tell that to the starbucks person hey you and the trotskyists are in lockstep on this um one they'll give you just a blank stare right. or two they might just get angry and start call, yelling names at you which mm-hmm. is probably what they would do mm-hmm. call you a nazi and a hater and a few other things maybe call you a racist well, just what- you know just just to boot what what you're saying it reminds me of uh, my father gave me his uh, it was like a scholastic reader. Um, or, well, actually, I don't know if it was his, but it was something that came out in the early 1950s. So he, he would have already been too old for this. But it was a scholastic reader. And it, the title of the book was What is Communism? And it was written for, I believe, eighth graders. And it was excellent. I mean, it's it's like college level material today, you know, because yeah. everything's been watered down except at Grove City. Uh, Let's see. But I remember reading through it thinking, oh, my gosh, if just American children today could just learn what's in this little paperback book, what is communism? At least we'd we'd be ahead of the game. And so but but no, I mean, now everything's been so dumbed down, watered down. And they're not even I mean, I would venture to say most people graduating couldn't even give you a definition of what is communism or what is Marxism. Are Are you in agreement with that? Oh yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen it as a professor. I've I've watched this, and I've been saying since the end of the Cold War: if if we don't teach the lessons of this, right. you're gonna, you know you're going to have people in a generation saying that communism is just fine, and and that's exactly what we have now. Right. And, you know, the latest numbers by Gallup and others. Um, you have huge numbers of millennials saying positive things about communism, about Vladimir Lenin. There was a survey done by the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. I think this one was in October of uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. And it is about a fourth of Americans, I think the number is 28%, uh, Americans generally, and almost a third of millennials. And this is actually, this is amazing. People are going to fall off their chair when they hear this. Mm-hmm. About a third of millennials and about 28% of Americans generally think that George W. Bush is responsible for more deaths than oh. Joseph Stalin. Oh, dear. It, it, yeah, oh, it's just no. it, breathtaking. Yeah, well, breathtaking. And the Marxists but, must but be spend, clapping yeah, their but, hands. I mean, that's been this has been their work. I mean, that's that's like artwork. They've been working on this for decades and decades and decades, and voila, they've got it. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> that, no, that's 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 exactly right. 
and and, and they um, I, I, the idea is Stalin, who who according to Alexander Yakovlev, who was uh, given the task in the 1990s of trying to figure out just how many people Stalin killed, he said that quote Stalin alone annihilated 60 to 70 million people. Right. So uh, how could you possibly? equate George W. Bush with that? Well, if if you spent, let's say, the years 2004 to 2008 in one of our horrific, horrific, um, ideologically one-sided uh, brainwashing universities, where all you heard was Bush bad, Bush bad, Bush evil, Bush evil, and you learn nothing about the horrors of communism, and the only thing that you learned about the Cold War was that there was a really evil guy named Joe, Joe McCarthy, right? right? Then, 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 then maybe you would think that, yeah, 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 Bush probably murdered more people than Stalin, probably one by one, you know, walked up and down the street and you know, knocking them off. But, but it, it's, it's, um, we're, we're now reaping what, we, what we've sown. Well, let me ask you this before our time runs out. What, what's the action plan? I mean, how do, is, and I know there are all sorts of conservative think tanks. I mean, I, for me, I, I'll just throw it out there. I remember working a political election. I thought, I'm going to take this information into a minority community, knocking doors. And I connected with one man. And uh, first he wanted to know, was I Democrat or Republican? I said, I'm a Christocrat, and I'm bringing truth into your neighborhood because your votes have been taken advantage of for 28 years. And he said, what's a Christocrat? <laughs> and, uh, but it was just beautiful because I was able to share you know, the history of Margaret Sanger and you know, her racist population control plan called the Negro Project. Uh, which is decimating right. the black race. I mean, it's knocked off, what is it, like one-third of yeah. the black race? It's horrible. That's just in America. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so um, and when I went back into his neighborhood, met him again, and he, you know, he said, what do you have for me today, Terry? And, and I had even more information. My point is, is that he ended up joining my team to get the Christian pro-life, pro-family, pro-constitution um, uh, candidate elected, and we and we thoroughly defeated the 28-year incumbent. Um, and it's and I call it loving other people with truth. And so on that second trip in, I said, I said Wilson, I said, have you ever thought about? How come, you know, why is it that back in the 1960s, most black families, uh, mom and dad were married and they had three or four kids? And, and today it's totally inverted. There's no marriage and it's single mom with whatever, you know, two to five kids. And he said, you know, I've never given it much thought. And he wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kangor, I asked him, yeah. do you want me to bring you videos? And he said, no, I want to read books. So he's the kind right. of guy that if right. I had given him your books, I mean, actually, I did give him books, but I wish I'd given him your books, <laughs> even though some of these you had not published yet. But what's your plan? I mean, I know you're, you're teaching, you're teaching at Grove City, you, 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 you know, you write books, and you're trying to get your word out. Give people action items. What do they need to do back in their, in their families and in their communities? Because if we don't get it, if we don't wake up, you know, all it's going to take is getting a lefty president and a lefty United, uh, a, you know, controlled U.S. Senate. I mean, they can smack us down with a international treaty, and it's over. You know, we've lost our sovereignty. Yeah. We've lost our parental rights. So, what's the game plan? Give us a give us your ideas. Just a couple minutes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I guess 
part of the, the 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 most difficult thing in all of this, Terry, is there's just not there's no quick simple solution, right? right. And I would say maybe in a way you could take a, a a page from the progressive movement, which is that they've been at this stuff for hundreds of years. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they've, they've been. Yeah. You know, they they were calling for universal health care in uh, in the Socialist Party platform of 1912, mm-hmm. and you know they waited a hundred years for Obama in 2012 before they, they before they got their crack at it. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and and also too, they realized that uh, they would go into education. And so do the cultural Marxists, right? Mm-hmm. Education, 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 culture, culture, culture. Right. Um, I find a lot of conservatives won't give any money to conservatives who want to do films. They've conceded all of that to the left. They've conceded Hollywood to the left. Right. And, and, and that's, and, you know, that's where uh, marriage, unborn human life, all that stuff was lost, uh, was lost to the culture in Hollywood it, through sitcoms. Exactly. I mean, not, not through think tank reports. So there's no simple solution to it, but but I would say that everybody, you just have to kind of do your own little part, like you're doing with your show, and uh, like I do with my books, and try to reach people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about your books while we still have time here. If you if somebody can only read one of your books, which one should they start with? Wow. Um, Well, okay. So on on okay on this particular topic. Um, I published last year, 2017, through Regnery, a book called uh, "The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism." Uh, so, so the the politically incorrect guide to communism, and that is written in a way, um, you know, kind of very fun, very lively. A lot of sidebars, a lot of short illustrations, and it mm-hmm. covers everything from communist theory to history to where the movement is today, what socialism is, okay. what a democratic socialist is, what a Perfect. social democrat is. So I would tell, I would tell people to, to read that, the, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism. Okay, perfect. And now if they have time to read one more book out of all those that you've written, I don't even know how many you have written, but uh, <laughs> you know, a book that, that's tied to the topics that we've been talking about, what would be the second book? Well, the other one, yeah. I'd say to read the book Takedown because uh, that that's short. That's probably one of the shortest books that I've that I've written. Okay. And yeah, so if you just Google Paul Kangor Takedown, mm-hmm. and that's the one on the kind of left progressive Marxist assault and redefinition of family and marriage. And then I, one more. I, I've, I I think I've done a I don't I've done like. 12 to 20 books, something like that. But, okay. but, but I did a short book called 11 Principles of a Reagan Conservative. Mm-hmm. And the, so these are all short. And, and that really describes what Reagan conservatism is. And really, really in a, in, in a, in a friendly, hopefully non-confrontational or nasty way, I lay out the differences between conservatism and progressivism. So that would be another one, too, 11 11 Principles of a Reagan Conservative. I thank you for allowing me to interview you today. I I told you before we got started, I feel like a kid in a candy store. All these books at my fingertips, (laughs) I want to read all of them. And I encourage everybody to uh, go to the website. We'll have links to uh, Dr. Kangor's books, or at least some of them. And get started. I mean, get book number one, then get book number two, and let's get educated. And I really want to encourage families to get reading together and then maybe have 
Um, you, you could have movie nights, you, you could have a book club, but let's get America educated again. So Dr. Uh, Dr. Kangor, thank you for being on today.